Hello, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the longer days and the longer sunshine. Soon it will be daylight savings, which is my favourite time of year. I'm Troy. If you're here for the first time, I want to say special welcome. Great to have you here. I can see a few new. I can see a few new faces. So great to have you here. This is what we do every week. We get stuck into a part of the Bible, figure out what it's saying, think about what it means for our lives. Uh, so let's pray and get into it. God, our Father, we thank you for the message of your Son. Teach us now to be humble before you as we read your word. Give us wisdom. Open our ears. Open our eyes and help us to see the wonder of your word and our amazing Lord Jesus. Amen. To kick us off, to get us thinking a little bit, turn to your neighbour and ask them what they think about this proverb. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinions. Ask your neighbour what their opinion of this proverb is. Alrighty. I can hear lots and lots of opinions. Let's not be foolish and keep talking for the rest of the night. I got us to think about that proverb because as I was preparing for this talk and reading this passage in Mark's Gospel, I found this proverb and it really struck me that what this proverb says is a lot of what's happening in Mark's Gospel so far. What have we seen over the past few weeks of Mark's gospel? We've seen whole crowds of people come to Jesus, see what he does, hear what he says, but not understand. We've seen whole crowds of people with opinions about Jesus, but with very little true understanding. Most of the responses that we've seen to Jesus so far have been foolish Lacking understanding, showing off opinions like this proverb talks about. We see people come to him not to be taught from God's word, but to be healed. That's a good thing, but it's not the main reason Jesus came. Last week we saw the the Pharisees almost misunderstand him on purpose, trying to accuse him of breaking the law. And even his disciples, those who spent the most time with him, those who heard and saw the most amazing things, even they still failed to understand him time and time again. Do you remember back when Jesus fed the 5,000? He fed them with, two, with five loaves and two fish. And later that night, Jesus walked on the water to the disciples. The, the disciples freak out. And what do they say? Have a look. Mark 5.51. It's on your outline or in your Bible. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. We see the disciples fail to understand who Jesus is, the Lord of the universe, who can make bread and fish and who can walk on water. And then last week, we saw them misunderstand again. Jesus says to the Pharisees, it's not the food that goes into you that makes you unclean. It's the sin that comes out of you that defiles you. 
And how did the disciples respond to that? Well, have a look. Mark seven seventeen, also on your outline. When he went into the house away from the crowd, the disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you also as lacking in understanding? The crowds, the Pharisees, even Jesus' disciples, they all hear Jesus' words, they all see his miracles with their own eyes, but they do not understand him. They don't understand he's God in the flesh, the Lord of the universe, the Messiah, who's come to restore all things. Jesus is the misunderstood Messiah. Everyone thinks he's an amazing healer or maybe a false teacher. But they don't understand he's the one who's come to proclaim God's kingdom and bring people into it. But in our passage today, Jesus meets a woman who, unlike so much of the crowds, seems to get Jesus, seems to understand something about him. So let's get into it. Open up Mark chapter 7, if you don't have it in front of you. Mark chapter 7. And in verse 24, Jesus tells us that Jesus goes from where he is in Galilee all the way up to the region of Tyre and Sidon in the green up there, which is a more Gentile area, all the way up to the north. Maybe Jesus is going up there to escape the accusations of the Pharisees Maybe he needed a place to rest or a place to teach his disciples. Uh, My guess is that he's traveling through the Jewish synagogues and continuing to teach about the kingdom of God. But Mark tells us what he does when he gets there. Have a look at verse 24 again. He goes into a house and he doesn't want anyone to know he's there. Perhaps by this time Jesus is a little sick of being misunderstood. So he hides away, so there's no chance of that happening. But his plan doesn't work, does it? People find out where he is, and then we meet this amazing and interesting Gentile woman who understands him. So let's meet her, verse 25. Jesus could not escape notice, verse 25. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to drive the demon out of her daughter. We can see this woman's desperation, can't we? As soon as she hears about Jesus, she rushes to him because her little daughter is tormented by a demon. I've said this before, but one of the most stressful things that a parent goes through, I'm guessing because I'm not a parent, One of the most stressful things they go through is when their kids are sick and suffering. This woman is desperate and she begs Jesus to come and help the daughter that she loves. Which sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? Just think for a moment back to what we've read in Mark's gospel so far. What have we already read in Mark that sounds a lot like this story? I heard the letter J, that's a good start. And I heard whispers of the name. Someone shouted out. Jairus. The story of Jairus, the synagogue leader from chapter 5. Jairus has a little daughter who's sick. 
and is at death's door. And in both of these stories, Jairus and this woman, they come to Jesus, they fall at his feet, and they beg him to help their little daughter. There are real similarities between these two stories, aren't there? But there's one big difference. Jairus and this woman are very, very different people. Jairus is a Jewish man, and a prominent Jewish man. He's the ruler of a synagogue. He's a man of reputation in the community. But what about this woman? Well, she's not Jewish, and she's not a man. She's a Gentile woman. She's Syrophoenician by birth, which means she's from this area of Tyre and Sidon, and from the enemies of Israel that we read about in Psalm 83 earlier. This woman from Syrophoenicia is the most culturally different person that Jesus has encountered so far. Sure, Jesus dealt with tax collectors and sinners, yes. But this woman is even further removed than them. Out of all the people that Jesus interacts with, she is the last person who should understand anything about Jesus. And I think Jesus kind of gets that this might be the case. He he doesn't want to be misunderstood, so he tests her with a little parable. As a side note, one of the things that I've been really struck by and amazed by Jesus as we've been reading through Mark is that Jesus always knows exactly what to say. He speaks a word of rebuke to the proud Pharisee, but he speaks a word of comfort and gentleness to the person in need. But Jesus' response here makes me doubt that amazement that I have. It's really weird. What does he say to her in verse 77? Have a look at it. It sounds like he says, Why should I help you? You're a dog. It sounds shocking, doesn't it? Shocking that Jesus would call another human being, whom he's meant to love and care for, a dog? It sounds shocking, but I don't think it's meant to be as shocking as it first sounds. So let's have a think about what he means. He tells a parable, a story with a meaning. He says, in a household, there are kids and there are pets. And in that household, children get the priority of food over pets, right? When it's dinner time, you don't, take the, you don't put the food down on the kids in front of the kids and then say, actually, no, 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 no don't eat it yet. I'll just put this down on the floor and, ah, there you go, the dogs can eat it. You don't do that, right? No, the kids take priority. They're your own flesh and blood. They're human beings. That's the parable. But what does it mean? Well, he's saying that the Jewish nation is like the children of the household and the Gentiles are like the pets. And it would be wrong for Jesus to take the food that's meant to be for the Jews and instead to give it to the the Gentiles. He's not saying that if you're a Gentile, you're not worth as much as the Jews. He's saying there's a priority. I have to come to the Jews first and only later will I go to the Gentiles. He's saying now is not the time for the gospel to go out to the Gentiles. First, I need to preach the kingdom of God 
to the Jews, God's special chosen people, because I'm the Jewish Messiah. Only later, after I die and rise again, will the gospel go out to them fully. You see, he's testing her. He's testing her understanding to see why she's really coming to him. He's testing her faith. How does she respond? It's, it's so simple, but it's also really profound. Verse 28. She says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She says, okay, I understand that you are Jewish. And I understand you've come to the Jews first. And I understand that I am not Jewish. But can I please have just a crumb? Just as the pets get the crumbs of the kids' food that falls from the table, can I please just have a crumb of your ministry? It's a profound response, isn't it? And it's profound because it shows she understands him. In amongst all those who don't understand Jesus, this Gentile woman understands. Or actually, we should say she understands herself. She understands herself in relation to Jesus, the Lord. She recognizes she is not a child of Israel. She recognizes she should not get anything from Jesus. She just comes to him in humility and destitute and asks only for grace. It's a stark contrast to the Pharisees we read about last week, isn't it? The Pharisees presume to be right. They presume to know better than Jesus. They presume to be right with God because of all their washings and because of their law-keeping. They presume God should be good to me. They're proud and not humble. They think they deserve their salvation and that God owes them a blessing. But it couldn't be any more different to this Gentile woman. And I think this is a real take-home point for us. To understand Jesus is actually to understand our place before him. Not as the Pharisees who who presume on Jesus, but as the sinful Gentiles who don't deserve anything from him, only to be judged and condemned because of our mountain of sin. To understand Jesus as the Lord is to come to him without presumption and without pride and to say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. To rely only on his grace and his death and resurrection for our sin. So, does this woman pass Jesus' test? How does Jesus respond to her? Have a look, verse 29. Because of this reply, you may go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. Finally, Jesus finds someone who understands. Very rarely is Jesus impressed with the faith of anyone. But here he is, and so he responds with compassion and grace. As Jesus is speaking, the demon leaves the little daughter, and the mother finds her well again when she gets home. Which is amazing, isn't it? 
This story is a, an amazing sign that again points to Jesus' power, his power over Satan, his power over demons. He can cast them out with a word and even from a distance. But this is also a great sign of Jesus' compassion and his grace to the Gentiles. As the crumbs of his ministry fall from the Jews down to them. It's just a little foretaste of the great flood of grace and compassion that will come upon all Gentiles when the gospel goes out to them. We can see that happening in the book of Acts, can't we? They get more than crumbs. The Gentiles, we here sitting today, we don't get just crumbs. We get the full banquet of all of God's grace. And so we should be humbled before God for his goodness to us. But now, yet again, Jesus moves on from here and does a big trip somewhere else. So, verse 31, Jesus makes a big journey from Tyre to Sidon and then back down all the way to the region of the Decapolis, another more Gentile area. And if you remember back to chapter 5, Jesus has already been here. This is where he cast out a legion of demons from one man and sent them into pigs who then ran and drowned themselves. In that strange turn of events. Last time Jesus was here, how did the people respond to him? They told him, go away. We don't want you here. We're afraid. But this time, instead of begging him to leave, they beg him to help. They beg him to help this man. Now, we don't know very much about this man. We don't know if he's a Jew or a Gentile. We don't know how old he is. We don't know how long he's suffered for. All we know is that he's deaf and that he can't speak properly. Now, the weird part of the last story was what Jesus said, right? Calling that woman a dog. Well, the weird thing in this story is not what he says, but what he does. Did anyone have a chuckle as they read verse 33 before? Have a look. So Jesus took him away from the crowd privately. That's not the weird part, by the way. I think he's just trying to be private so people, again, don't misunderstand him. He doesn't want people to just think he's a healer. Now, the weird part is what next? It's so weird. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Is that not the weirdest thing you've ever heard Jesus do? What went on in his mind that he thought, okay, blind mute man, what can I do here? I know. Fingers in ears, spit, open his mouth, touch his tongue, deep sigh, and say, be opened. That'll work, won't it? Why does he do this? It reminds me of doctors. Have we got any doctors in the room? Some doctors are very hands-on, aren't they? When you say you've got a cold, they poke and prod and squeeze you to death. That's what some doctors do. Other doctors, like my doctors, like to observe from a distance uh, and only touch you if they really need to, like if you're bleeding and dying. Some people prefer the hands-on doctor. Others prefer the distant observer doctor. I'll let you decide which one you prefer. Now, I don't know why Jesus chooses to do these strange actions to heal this man. 
But I think it has something to do with Jesus being hands-on. With him showing his compassion and love for this man by touching him. Instead of being a distant observer, he's hands-on and involved and interacts with him. He wants people to know he loves them, he cares for them. He doesn't come down from heaven and then stand off at a distance and say, ah, I can't go near them. No, he gets fully involved in our human existence. He identifies with people and loves them. But far more important than the way that he heals this man, even though it's strange, is the fact that he does. Jesus' very strange actions, they work. Verse 35, Immediately his ears were opened, and his speech difficulty was removed, and he began to speak clearly. Isn't that amazing? Just as the crowds are amazed in verse 37, so we should be amazed. Jesus has the power to do what our medicine and our science and our technology struggles to do even today. Restore someone's hearing and speech perfectly. In an instant, it's like he never even had the problem. Jesus is our amazing Lord who heals the sick. But we need to be careful that we're not amazed for that we're amazed for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons. In verse 36 he orders them not to tell anyone. Again, why is he being so secretive? It's so that people don't misunderstand him. Jesus is amazing, but not just because he is a healer, but because he is the Lord of all. Well, let's step back a bit and ask, what is Mark trying to do with these two strange little stories? On the surface, these stories are yet another example of Jesus' power, power to heal and his compassion on those who are suffering, and that is wonderful. But Mark, I think, is making a bigger, he's making a bigger picture here. He's pointing to something more. Remember, in this part of, go- of Mark's gospel, Jesus is, sorry, Mark is trying to show us those who understand Jesus, and that there are many who don't. And he shows us how people hear what Jesus says, see what he does, and miss the point. And in amongst all these people who misunderstand Jesus, the crowds, the disciples, Jesus heals a man's hearing. In amongst all these people, like the Pharisees, who claim to speak the truth, Jesus heals this man's I think Mark wants us to stop and reflect in amongst all of this misunderstanding about Jesus what is Mark trying to say to us when he gives us a woman who does understand him and a man whose hearing and speech is healed both stories show us how we can understand Jesus The first story with the woman, the right response to Jesus, the right understanding of him is to see yourself as undeserving like this Gentile woman does. Not to presume on God's goodness like the Pharisees, but to come before God humbly and ask only for grace. And what about the second story, the deaf mute man? It's a picture of how we can understand Jesus It's only as Jesus opens our ears and loosens our tongues 
that we can hear who he is, understand him, and then call him our Lord. We need him to miraculously heal our spiritual ears and our spiritual mouth so we can understand and call him our Lord. And to finish off, I want us to reflect on those great things for a little bit. And to do that, I want us to ask one question two different ways. So one question, how do you understand Jesus? In two ways. The first way, how do we go about understanding Jesus? How do we go about understanding who Jesus is and what he has done and understand rightly? Well, as we've seen, it takes the humility of this Gentile woman and it takes Jesus having to open our spiritual ears and mouth to understand and call him Lord. is to recognize Jesus as the powerful Lord of the universe and the one who should be the Lord of your life. To know that he is the Lord and to know that you are undeserving and spiritually deaf and spiritually unable to speak before him. And then it's to cry out to him and ask him only for grace and forgiveness on an unworthy sinner like me. We also understand Jesus by letting his word tell us who he is rather than saying, this is who I think you are. Having the Bible shape our understanding of him instead of pop culture, instead of our experiences or our family or secularism or our traditions. All of those things are good things. Well, not all of them. But they need to be weighed against who Jesus is in the Bible. Because that's how you understand who Jesus is. The second way I want to ask this question is this. How do you understand Jesus? How do you right now, currently, understand Jesus? Who do you think he is? And is your understanding right? The crowds, the disciples, the Pharisees, they all had their ideas of who the Messiah is and what Jesus was and what he was about. They defined him because they thought that's what he should be like. But they misunderstood him. Instead, it was this humble Gentile woman who came to him only for grace, who understood him better than all the rest. So how do you understand Jesus? Is he the guy that you got Sunday school stories about when you were growing up? Is he the nice guy who says wise things and who gives good advice on life? Is he the guy that you pray to when things get hard? Is he the guy who you tip your hat to on a Sunday but forget about for the rest of the week? Is he a fantasy that people made up? Or is he the one that he says he is? The one who says, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. The one who says, I've come to serve, not to be served. And to give my life as a ransom for you. The one who is the Lord of the universe and the saviour. Worth putting all of our faith in and giving all of our life to. Because that is who he says he is. One question, two ways. How do you understand Jesus? By the humility of this Gentile woman and by the miraculous power of Jesus 
to open our ears to the gospel? And two, how do you understand Jesus? Do you understand him as the amazing Lord that he is? Or as something else that he isn't? Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for showing us the amazing Lord Jesus. Thank you that he walked the earth, that he lived and taught, that he died and rose again, and that Mark wrote it down for us to read so that we could know him and know him truly instead of misunderstanding him. Father, please take away any misunderstanding that we might have about the Lord Jesus. Help us to see him as the powerful Lord of the universe, as God in the flesh, as the one who died for our sins and rose again, the one who brings God's kingdom and who brings people like us into it. Father, we pray that you would help us to grow as we understand Jesus more and more. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.